From Sacramento, the Bishop's Radio Hour with Bob Dunning on Relevant Radio, focusing on today's issues in the context of gospel values. Now, here's Bob. That's me. Welcome to you on this beautiful day the Lord has made. Appreciate you all being with us here on the Bishop's Hour. And indeed, this is the day the Lord has made as we move ever closer to Holy Week. Uh, Holy Week this year, of course, uh, in the in the month of March. And uh, Easter Sunday is on the 31st of March. So Holy Week starting, uh, you know, the, the, the week prior to that. So uh, a lot happening here in the Diocese of Sacramento as we move on through Lent. Indeed, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And we're glad to welcome in uh, Deacon Kevin Staskow, joins us today by phone. Deacon, a good day to you. Apparently we do not have Deacon uh, uh, coming through here, but... uh, Oh, I'm sorry, Bob, I'm here. Good to be on. How are you doing? (laughs) Good to to have you, Deacon. Uh, Appreciate you taking the time to, from your busy, busy schedule to to be with us. Uh, I hope everything is... uh, Going well for you in this Lent, uh, uh, very, very important time uh, in the church calendar, of course, and uh, obviously uh, you and all all the people in your department, uh, very important time. Oh, yes. Lots lots going on and really trying to focus, uh, you know, focus on, you know, on prayer, on almsgiving, Praying at trying to uh, trying to slow down while things are speeding up, I guess is a good thing to say. Boy, that's well put. <laughs> that's that's exactly well put. Things are speeding up. Tell us about what what you have on the docket. Well, I you know we we've been celebrating this entire year the uh, the Eucharistic revival, right? And. Uh, it's kind of culminating here in the diocese with a uh, Eucharistic Congress that's coming up on the 9th of March. Right. Uh, it's actually the 9th and the 10th of March, uh, two, uh, two really you know, days filled with activity. Um, we, as you know, we have our confirmation conference every year where we have about three to 4,000 yes. confirmation students that, that we put a special conference on for. So this year we moved the conference to be part of the uh, the Diocesan Eucharistic Congress. So there's going to be the confirmation conference happening, and at the same time we're going to be doing three events uh, at three of the parishes uh, in Sacramento. One event at Our Lady of Guadalupe in Spanish, one at St. Francis, and one at uh, Immaculate Conception Parish, um, that'll be focused on youth and is being sponsored by the Black Catholic Ministry of the Diocese of Sacramento. Very so good. we're excited to have these events, all the, this whole weekend of activity to celebrate uh, the Eucharistic revival. Um, and this, of course, is getting our diocese ready for the National Eucharistic Congress, which will be happening in July uh, in Indianapolis. So... Talk just a little bit about what happens, what is going to happen in Indianapolis. Well, Indianapolis is a multi-day conference mm-hmm. with every notable Catholic speaker in the in the United States uh, going to be there. So um, it is it is going to be an incredible celebration, an opportunity for prayer and reflection, a co- you know, a, a, an opportunity to celebrate. Uh, the Eucharist, an op- uh, uh, you know, an opportunity to hear, you know, some of the best speakers, uh, you know, in the United States, but really in the world, um, talk about the Eucharist and what it means to the church, why it's so important. Um, it is going to be, I mean, think of, if anybody's ever been to L.A. Congress, think of L.A. Congress times 10. I mean, oh, well. it's going to be that good, right? So it's the, uh, you know, they're expecting 50,000 people. Um, it, it's a history. Uh, Eucharistic Congresses are, have happened throughout hi- the history of our country. There's been several others. I think at the last one, I think you know, wasn't wasn't you know, uh, I, I think at the last one, Dorothy Day and Pope John Paul II, and I mean, anyone you know, all these great, amazing people were all at these congresses. Well, this is another in a series of those congresses that you know that we're having nationally in Indianapolis, and it's being 
Um, it'll start with four uh, pilgrimages from the four corners of the United States. Um, that it's going to be Eucharistic pilgrimages of the of the Eucharist traveling all the way across the country to Indianapolis starting in May um, on Pentecost. So we have one of those pilgrimages coming right through Sacramento uh, on the 21st through the 24th of May. So, you know, think of like, the, you know, how the Olympic torch travels right. all the way across the country to wherever right. the Olympics is, or all, I guess across the globe to wherever the Olympics is. This is similar. It's, it's, the, it's the Eucharist traveling from four locations in the country uh, to Indianapolis for this uh, momentous uh, occasion, historic occasion, you know, in the life of the church wow. in the United States. Do we, do we, have, we have the Eucharist, I presume, instead of the torch. I actually got to carry the Olympic torch years, years ago. Oh, you did? Yeah. yeah oh, Bob, was, we'll yeah. have to, we'll have to get you carrying the Eucharist for part of the, oh. uh, for part of the procession across the, the state too. That we'll we'll be, figure that out. That would be a tremendous honor. Uh, and, and privilege and, and, you know, I, it, it would, wow. That is, is so is, is this going to be, a, 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 a the, the one across the country, is it going to be on foot? Well, in some areas they're going to travel on foot for mm -hmm. miles. Mm -hmm. uh, in our diocese, it's mostly going to be local procession. So uh -huh, right. the Eucharist will travel in a tabernacle by car. Right. Uh, and, and then, um, and, and every day there's a mass. So it's not like the same Eucharist travels all the way across the country. Um, every day there's a mass and then there's a series of events and processions, um, mostly adoration processions and mass happening every day that it goes across the country. So it's not like one uh, you know, it's not like the Eucharist is consecrated in San Francisco and right. that same Eucharist travels all the way to Indianapolis. Right. Every day, um, liturgically, there's a mass and a the procession proceeds from that uh, from that mass um, through through the rest of the day, usually ending with like a holy hour at the end of the day. So um, in our diocese, um, uh, the bishop asked that the Eucharist travel on the Sacramento River. He thought that was really important because oh, the river was named, um, I believe that the river was named after the Blessed Sacrament and the city was named after the river. Yeah, that's exactly I think that's right. True. But, yep. but the Blessed Sacrament, start, it started with the, uh, the river being named after the Blessed Sacrament. So the idea would be that we're traveling on the Sacramento River uh, with a flotilla of boats from Vallejo all the way to uh, West Sacramento really is where we'll land. And then we'll be doing a procession across the, uh, uh, across the, uh, the tower bridge to the cathedral. Very good. And of course the, the, uh, the Sacramento river headwaters are in our diocese too, uh, up by Mount Shasta. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That is true. We've got the whole river here. That's we right. have we literally have the whole river in in our diocese. It's it's yep. remarkable, and and, and you're, you're exactly right. It, the, I, I I remember going to public school one time, and we were it was the history. I was probably a fifth grader or something, and the history of California, you know. And they started talking about Sacramento and the capital and all that, and and I asked the teacher. I said, "So what? What?" what is Sacramento named after, you know? And, and, uh, I kind of knew the answer <laughs> and she says, she says, I'll get back to you on that, you know? <laughs> and a couple of days later, she called me up after class and she said, I got an answer to your question. I said, Oh, so what's it named after? And she says, it's named after the Sacramento river. <laughs> And that was it. <laughs> that is true. It is true. It was a correct answer. <laughs> uh, always remember that, you know. But, uh, yeah, isn't, isn't it wonderful that the capital of the most populous state in America is named after the Blessed Sacrament? It's, yeah. It's fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it, it is very it, – it's beautiful, and, and it's great that um, – I, I don't, you know, there was, it almost, uh, the, the, uh, the, uh, the, the pilgrimage almost started from LA and then it wouldn't have come through the diocese of Sacramento. So we're blessed that it, it did. So, uh, we're very excited about it. 
Uh, that that that's phenomenal. I, I presume our portion of it will end when we hit the the diocese of Reno up in the Lake Tahoe area. Yeah. So the idea is that we're going to end. Um, the last stop in the Diocese of Sacramento will be St. Teresa's, South Lake Tahoe. Mm -hmm. And we are going to be taking the Blessed Sacrament across the Lake Tahoe up to Incline uh, mm -hmm. in Nevada, uh, right at sunset on the Friday, Friday oh, the wow. 20th, I believe it's the 24th. It is so, the 24th, yeah. Friday the 24th of May. So, uh, and then there'll be a, a there'll be a, um, a, a service at uh, it's St. Francis in Incline. Mm -hmm. uh, in the in the Reno in the Reno Nevada diocese. How wonderful! So and then they'll have it for a few days, and it moves on from there. Uh, presumably to the diocese of Salt Lake. Yes, I believe yeah. so. Yeah, I would think so. As long as as long as it stays on the northern route, it probably stay north of the diocese of Las Vegas. So, wow! How it, it, it gives me chills thinking about it. I I I, I love this sort of thing that in the 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 reverence it creates, but also the, the sort of the enthusiasm and, and among non-Catholics, uh, curiosity, I guess, and, and questions and that kind of thing, which uh, is a kicking the door open, if you will. Yeah, and, I, and I think it's a great opportunity for all the Catholics you know, uh, in the diocese, especially the ones listening to the program today, to get involved in some of these events, right? As I said, we have the Eucharistic Congress coming up this weekend, uh, next weekend on the 9th, uh, the 9th of March. And so um, if you look on our website, the website is scd.org forward slash celebrate, and that'll take you right to the information about the three celebrations. They all start at 2 o'clock uh, at Immaculate Conception, at Our Lady of, Our Lady of Guadalupe, and at St. Francis. So people are invited to come. We, we invite you to come and participate as much as you like. It goes from two, two to five at, at all three locations. There's a mass at five and then there's a procession from six to seven to the cathedral followed by adoration at the cathedral at seven o'clock. And so we, we'd, we'd like to invite people to be involved in all as much of that as they'd like to be involved in. And then there's several opportunities. We're making, I think 12 different parish stops in the four days uh, for the for the procession, the 21st through the 24th of May. Again, all the information will be at that same website, scd.org forward slash celebrate. And uh, we'd we love people to, to, to come to all or part of it. Um, and, and again, I, what I've, I've said to people is don't think you have to go to everything, but to just come and try to participate in some way uh, with your family. Uh, I think it's going to be a good uh, experience. And maybe invite a couple of if you have some seats in your car, throw a few extra people in and bring them down. Yeah, that's because I think it's going to be a, a exciting opportunity. That's such a great, great idea. And uh, you know, our, our Lady of Guadalupe, Guadalupe is at Seven Eleven T St. Francis of Assisi, right in Midtown at ten sixty six Twenty Sixth Street and Immaculate Conception uh, at thirty two sixty three First Avenue, right off of Broadway. And that that one is hosted by the Black Catholic Ministry and. Uh, some of the speakers you might recognize, Priscilla Garza, Kerry Marquez, Pedro de Acevedo, Father Agostino Torres, uh, the Revival Band, uh, Rian Ramirez, Gospel Choir, uh, just a, a lot of uh, great speakers and music and Holy Mass and celebration, really. But it's, and it's all free, so you... you you have to pay for the food. I think you have to pay for it. If you want food, you have to pay. But the events themselves are free. So please come and, uh, you know, uh, please, please come and enjoy them. Kevin, uh, the uh, event, the Eucharistic Congress in Indianapolis, do you have the dates on that? Uh, yeah. Oh, let me, here, I can I can pull them up here. I don't have them right in front of me. Just a second. Is, is, um, but, yeah, it's in July, mid-July. Good time to be in the Midwest. Yeah, it's it is going to be <laughs> the twenty uh, the seventeenth through the twenty first of July at Lucas Oil Stadium. I was going to say in Indianapolis, it, it would, Indiana. It would have to be Lucas Oil Stadium because there's no other venue big enough in Indianapolis to handle a crowd like that. 
yeah, it's, it's, you know, again, I've been getting the emails. You can go to the website. Um, I believe it's eucharisticcongress.org, and you can sign up to get updates. I've been getting the updates on the Congress, and almost every day they're announcing new speakers. And every time a new speaker, I, I like, how could they do better than this? And the next speaker is better. So everyone's going to be there. But, you know, Father Mike Schmitz, Father Robert Barron, anybody you can possibly imagine is going to be there speaking or performing or whatever. So it's definitely going to be a national conference. And it's, according to the website, it's only 142 days away. <laughs> that's great. That's great. And yeah, that's uh, the home of the Indianapolis first- Colts and probably seats about 70,000, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, no, so there, there's there's probably plenty of room for you, so don't don't hesitate. There's going to be um in and in the, the website also says that it it's the first Eucharistic Congress we've had in the United States in 83 years, so oh, it's wow. been a while. Yeah, does it say where the last one was? Uh, I don't I don't see that on here. I'll yeah. try to find it for you. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll 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 do some Google searching myself. That's yeah, it gives me chills thinking about it. So we'll circle that date, everyone. And uh, uh, presumably that uh, tells you how people can sign up for that. Yeah, they can register right on there. They can buy the tickets for it. Um, uh, you know, people should be aware that it is, you know, you do need to get hotel rooms and, you know, and, and flights. It, it's not it's not inexpensive to fly there in, in right. the summer. Um, but, you know, the stuff is available. There's still tickets available. Very good. Very good. Well, and what a what a wonderful way to learn about the faith, learn more about the faith, enhance your faith, strengthen your faith. Uh, what what a, I, I'm I'm just so thrilled about about all of this. You know the the Eucharistic revival. I th- I think it's gonna. I just think it's gonna bear great fruit. Yeah. I think I think no, it I think already it, is. It's, it's, yeah. 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 Indeed. So the last Eucharistic Congress was uh, in St. Paul, Minnesota, Mm. in 1941. So it's been a while. Prior to that, it was in New Orleans in uh, 38, (laughs) and Cincinnati in 35. We've had 10 10 Eucharistic Congresses. This is going to be the 10th uh, National Eucharistic Congress that we've had in the United States. So the last one was St. My parents were married in St. Paul. It was either 1940 or 1941. <laughs> huh. Well, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Maybe they, maybe, maybe that's they where they went there. on their honeymoon. They, they, may have, they may have attended. My goodness. Yeah, they might have, right? Yes, they, they, they well could have. Yeah, yeah. Uh, very, very interesting. Well, Kevin, uh, greatly appreciate your time. Any, any, any last thing that I didn't ask you that you wanted to get in? Um. Uh, no, I think that's enough, Bob. Just, you know, just again, to let everyone know that they're welcome to any of these Congress events. They're all free, and we would love to get as much participation. We know that we're not traveling the whole diocese with the pilgrimage uh, because he only gave us four days. But um, we are we are happy to receive whoever would like to come and participate. Um, and again, you can get the information at scd.org forward slash celebrate. Uh, would really encourage you to uh, try to attend uh, whatever whatever works in your schedule or sounds fun to you. Very good. Again, it is March the 9th, and starting at 2 p.m. is the three parishes, sort of the downtownish parishes, if you will, Our Lady of Guadalupe Parish, St. Francis of Assisi Parish, and Immaculate Conception Parish. And then when they conclude, uh, all processing to the Cathedral of the Blessed Sacrament at uh, 1019 11th Street. Kevin, thanks so much. Blessings to you and your family, and uh, we'll look forward to uh, our paths crossing again real soon. Okay, blessings to you too, Bob. Talk to you soon. That's Deacon Kevin Saskel. We'll take a quick break, back with more on the Bishop's Hour right after this. This portion of the Bishop's Hour is brought to you by a grant from the St. Vincent de Paul Society. Drop by and shop at their thrift store, a beautiful, beautiful thrift store at 2275 Watt Avenue. Open Mondays through Saturdays from 10 to 8 and Sundays from 11 to 6. They also accept donations at the store, donations of furniture, appliances, clothing, books, everyday household items. 
Your donations help to fund the many projects of the St. Vincent de Paul Society throughout the Diocese of Sacramento. Do such wonderful, wonderful work, and the thrift store is uh, one of the the ways they uh, raise the funds to help people throughout the diocese, and also uh, uh, many of their clients are able to access the uh, thrift store for uh, items that they need. You can uh, give them a call. They will come pick it up as well, but you can uh, give them a call. They're at 916-972-1212. And remember, again, the thrift store is open uh, seven days a week at 2275 Watt Avenue right here in Sacramento. Well, Bishop Soto refers to Christ the King Retreat Center as the jewel of the diocese, and indeed it is. What a beautiful oasis it is. It's located in Citrus Heights, uh, right in the hustle and bustle of the city, and you feel like you're getting away from it all when you uh, turn off the main road and just uh, uh, come into Christ the King Passionist Retreat Center. Christ the King has served Northern California and the Diocese of Sacramento for over 60 years through parish weekend retreats, individual spiritual direction, and a variety of other programs. For information on all the programs that they offer, including residential programs, give them a call. They're at 916-725-4720, or you can visit them at 6520 Van Maren Lane in Citrus Heights. And we certainly thank uh, the St. Vincent de Paul Society and Christ the King Passionist Retreat Center for their fine and longstanding support of the Bishop's Hour. Good morning. This is Sister Maria, and I'm the Formation Director for the Seminarians, and you are listening to the Bishop's Hour with Bob Dunning. Thank you, Sister Maria, for that great introduction, and thanks for all you do for our great Office of Vocations here in the Diocese of Sacramento. Well, we're just pleased to welcome in Katita Shloman, who is the Safe Environment Coordinator. Is that the correct title? That is the correct title. It has been that title for quite a while it now. It has. It has. So. And your work doesn't stop? Nope. Uh, safe Environment is kind of 24-7, um, around the clock. We obviously have busier times of the year, you know, when school right. starts back up in session. Pull you, pull that mic just a little bit closer there. There you go, perfect. You have the gold microphone today. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this all came out of the charter in Dallas. Uh, what in two thousand and one? Two thousand and two. Two thousand and two. So, yep, over twenty years ago, and and that charter um, was really written as a guideline. Um, kind of a playbook for what dioceses need to do. Um, there's specific articles in that charter um, that every diocese is audited against every single year. Every year mm -hmm. you're audited. Yes, yeah. every year. To, to audited, you usually think of audits, you think of numbers and finances and that kind of thing. This is an audit to make sure you are following all the guidelines, regulations, rules, whatever that were put down in that charter for the protection of young people. That's right. And it's 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 important to note that it's an outside auditing agency. Right. So there are numbers, there are statistics, there you know, we have to account for how many trained, how many completed uh um, you know, child abuse recognition and reporting training, how many completed background checks. We, we have numbers. Um, but that outside auditing agency is um uh, is the agency that audits every single diocese. So there's consistency, mm -hmm. they understand the charter, and um, are always looking for, you know, that consistency um, in terms of how a diocese sets up their safe environment department. And they don't pull any punches. No. They they're, not, they're not they going to just sugarcoat the thing. No, they, 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 really, they really don't. It's... it's um, they hold us all accountable, which is good, you know, and... Um, I feel like if we are doing our collective job effectively, then, you know, the, the audit is an opportunity to always be looking at our practices. Um, have we put in place the best practices? Are there things we need to uh, consider? Um, and uh, which, which it's good. That's, that's good. You know, Safe Environment and Bishop has said this, it's not stagnant. It is, it is always changing. Mm -hmm. We're always looking um, to ensure that we're doing everything we possibly can. Well, in, in, the, in all of human history, uh, knowledge about these sorts of things has changed over time. Right. Uh, and, and 
presumably. You know, you hear that sometimes. Well, you know, what we believed or thought in the 70s or the 60s or the 80s or 90s isn't what we believe today. This charter started, as you said, in 2002, so we're mm -hmm. coming up on 22 years now. Um, are there things, has the charter itself been revised? So there have been slight revisions to the charter. I believe there was one in, um, I think there have been two, 2011 and I think again in 2018. Um, the, uh, the revisions were slight, but uh, one of the revisions included um, the, the inclusion of vulnerable adults uh -huh. in, in, that char in mm -hmm, the charter, mm -hmm. in the language in the charter. So, you know, as we move through audits from that point forward, auditors are looking for inclusion of specific language and policy. And, and um, uh, every third year as part of the, that audit process, the auditors are here physically um, for us here at the Pastoral Center. They meet with um, a whole group of people um, that they've identified mm -hmm. that they want to to sit down and speak with. They're usually here for about three or four days. Um, and for every response we provide them related to our answers in the audit, we have to provide documentation to to substantiate what our right. response is. So right. um, it's thorough. Do you, do you learn things from the auditors too? Uh, that, hey, not not where the intent wasn't there, but but we think that this is a better path or yes. this is a better way to do things. They'll, they'll follow up with kind of a, a management letter, mm -hmm. you know, and suggestions and um, maybe things that they've seen. Um, I, a few years back, reached out to them post-audit because I wanted to see, is there a way that we can kind of do our own parish audit mm -hmm. you know that's not mm -hmm. just a, a yearly audit right. notice but is more in depth more right. in detail and they were really very helpful in saying well this is what some other dioceses have done and here's some things that you could that you could you know look to use but again i really think their their purpose for us is to uh you know keep us keep us on the straight and narrow related yeah. to the charter but also you know make us self-reflect and make sure we're doing everything we're supposed to be doing. Are there things that we can improve upon? So the, so many of the cases that come to light are, uh, this isn't dismissing them in any way, uh, are, are old, mm -hmm. 20, 30, 40 years old. Mm -hmm. And sometimes those didn't come to light for 20 or 30, 40, 40 years, not just to our awareness, but, but the, the repressed memory and all these things that you hear about. Do we know yet about the effects of the, you know, it, it seems that, I mean, obviously the numbers are, are down since 2002, but do we know yet all the fruit of this or not? So it, it would be hard to kind of quantify that, yeah. you know, we, we can't say, oh, I, 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 because you did this, I didn't abuse somebody. Right. You know, right. it's it's very difficult. So I I always kind of point to what I what I do what I do know. Um, I know that our opt out numbers of parents opting out of our training every year has gone down over the years mm -hmm. substantially. Um, I do. Where know they just say we're not going to participate. We're not going to. That they just didn't want their child receiving the training. Uh -huh. um, the the idea with. With, when that happens is that they will be provided with the lessons for them to reflect and maybe teach them at home. Um, but um, we, we want those trainings being, right. being done. So I've seen the opt-out numbers drop over the years. I've seen um, uh, really an effort between my department, our um, lay personnel department, in, in really um, – holding our parishes and our schools accountable for employee clearances and volunteer clearances um, and those numbers going up in terms of how many people are printed mm -hmm. and uh, complete their training. So those are the things we can, we can, we can point to. We know that those good numbers are, are up. Um, I firmly believe in the power of educating and informing. Um, so I I do believe that all of those efforts have played into into that too. When we look at at um, 
formation of, of clergy, you know, pre-safe environment, it really didn't happen. But now mm-hmm. it is part. It's part sure. of everyone's, everyone's language now. So, so the, the one thing, and it can't, it, we don't seem to be able to control it. We can, contr- we can tr- control or help to reduce the number by having a safe environment program, to ha- by having the circle of grace and, and all these things, and, and by real careful screening of, of employees and volunteers and all that. Uh, but the, the one thing that we haven't, we, not, not the church, but society, hasn't because we see it everywhere. I mean, we—it's not unique to the Catholic Church, but the one thing society hasn't been able to do is to make the abuser not want to abuse. You know, and that's the, that's the uh, the mystery, I guess, is what causes these. Uh, you know, maybe we can make it more difficult for them to abuse, and and on all those things, but. There are still people out there that that's what they want to do, and we just haven't been able to that not as a church, as a society, or even the medical field, to make that go away. Yeah. No, and I don't believe we can. Yeah. So you know, when we when we look at kind of that pattern of abuse, um, and we look back on what happened pre that abuse. There's so many warning signs and so many opportunities oh, at are. that moment when we when we hear about boundary violations, when we, you know, as a parent kind of feel like something's not quite right. You know, those are the opportunities to step in. And, um, you know, it it we don't want to wait until something yep. has, something has happened. So that's one of the great things about that training that we have. Um, safe haven is it really goes in great detail about grooming techniques and what that what that appears like and and you know how somebody will go about in grooming a child and and you know there's a misconception that oh you know it's going to abuse is going to happen in you know right away somebody can groom someone for years and years and just slowly chip away so there's something that I learned mm-hmm. that uh, it, it never occurred. I, I would have assumed that it's, you know, it would it would happen right away, right. you know, and 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 in, in some in some people it does, but I had never even heard the term grooming, and and to think that this is a process and this is a, and and yet, um, you know, in my childhood it was it was something we weren't looking for. We my parents weren't looking for it, um, and never even crossed our minds and you look back now and and you can i think almost any human being can identify times where there were some boundary problems or some grooming going on and and maybe it didn't lead you know for whatever reason mm-hmm. uh all the way but um yeah, uh, yeah. the, the and, and you shake your head and say wow if and it's slow and gradual yeah. and you know, it's that opportunity for that that predator really to yeah. test test the waters and see yeah. how far they can go with us. Yeah, and the, the other thing that we've learned, I think, is it's almost always somebody known to the person. You know, yes. uh, even a family member. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. And that you know, part of that grooming is how that person in kind of ingratiates themselves mm-hmm. into into that that child's family sure. and gains that trust of, yeah. of the parents and those around the child. Almost to the point where the parent would feel guilty even having the thought that, oh, this person could be doing yeah. or yeah. wanting to do Our this. Our minds don't want to go there. The, no, you, you know, don't. We really, we really don't, and, you know, we want to be trusting of, of, of people, but we really have to be on guard. Yeah. So what's what's the toughest part of your job? Um, goodness, the velocity of how many people we train, which is actually the good part of yeah. my job too, because I I I'm very proud of what we do. Um, but just the velocity, the numbers of of reportings that come in from DOJ and FBI, uh, the the numbers of 
of trainings that are conducted, kind of the um, the administrative component. Of, so, do you of it work all. with DOJ and the FBI? So we do. They're they're um, as a as being able to receive um, somebody's criminal background when somebody goes to be printed. Uh, we have to have a designated custodian of records mm -hmm. um, on on file, and that would be myself and our background check clerk um, who processes so, those reports daily. So let's say we're talking about a, a new employee. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have all kinds of privacy considerations mm -hmm. as well. Does the employee have to, or potential employee, have to agree to have their record checked? Yep. So they, when, when somebody goes for live scan fingerprinting, and this is why there's the need for maybe multiple to be printed for coaching Little League and then for your sure. employer and then for volunteering at your church. When you go for printing, you're going with the the receiving agency's designated form and you're saying, I am authorizing this agency to receive my criminal background. Mm -hmm. That's why information can't be shared. I right. can't send a clearance you know, for somebody's employment outside of the diocese or even for volunteering at you know, the, the public school system, I, I can't provide that. And vice versa, we couldn't accept a clearance from mm -hmm. somebody else. We have to do it on our, okay. do it on our own. And it's all, it's all available through, who does it go through, the Department of Justice? So or it FBI? goes through, for, for employees we clear through the Department of Justice and FBI, and those reports come directly to, to us. So it's all federal? Mm -hmm. State DOJ as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then for volunteers, it's all done through state DOJ. I want to add that everyone who has completed printing for the diocese, every time um, someone is printed, their prints are attached to subsequent arrest notifications. So within hours of an arrest being made, we're able to respond and make an adjustment, whether that be in employment or their ability to volunteer. So, um, And those decisions in terms of adjusting volunteer status are not arbitrary you know we have yeah. a very set um, internal protocol that we follow and uh, to create consistency you know across everything so. do you get pushback from people who yes. say hey i'm just driving on a field trip i'm a good guy yes. i'm doing the right thing here yes we do and you know those uh, maybe early on when i was brand new it was hard to kind of address that pushback but you know those are the requirements, and if that's what you want to do, then you need to complete your training. Well, you know, it's, it's a little bit like, you know, going through security at the airport, you know, and you're saying, I'm not, I don't, I'm not carrying weapons, you know. And, right. And, and, and yet at the same to token, you're saying, well, they're keeping this guy behind me in line from carrying a gun on that's the plane, right. you know. That's right. It's for everybody's safety. Yeah. It really is. And, um, you know, we, we, do get, we do get pushback, but... Um, you know, the bulk of our volunteers are at our at our diocesan schools. Um, that's where the majority of our volunteering comes from, um, and uh, most of the parents are well, you know, well aware of it. Yeah. You know, this is a requirement. The, the the screening is is able to screen a lot, and the only people you miss are the ones that were never caught or haven't yet offended and that's why it's really important to not take just a background check right. at face value you know it's really i always look at it as safe environment is kind of a a three-legged stool you know and we've got we've got fingerprinting in our background we've got our child abuse recognition and reporting training but we also train the children so really trying to yep. take all three of those into consideration um, is what's important and I would think one of the difficult things is, and we're both parents, mm -hmm. and, you know, when your kids are little and somebody, you're at, I don't know, a social event or, or something, you just meet somebody on the street, maybe they're friends of the family or something, and and they say, hey, maybe how are you? And she's kind of hiding behind your thigh, and, mm -hmm. and, and they're four years old, and you want them to be polite and forthcoming and engage, if you will. And it, I think it must be a, a, a real delicate balance. You don't want your child to be afraid of everybody. That's right. But at the same token, you don't, 
you don't want to inadvertently put them in a position exactly. where they're accepting of something where they shouldn't be. Exactly. So it is. It's a very difficult, uh, you know, it's it's difficult. It's difficult. And, um, you know, again, if we're aware kind of what boundary violations look like, if we're aware of what grooming looks like, um, those are all the keys to, you know, helping to protect our children. So do you have parents calling you and saying, we think this is going on? So it's not so much um, where we would get a parent. It's usually it would come from either the pastor, the principal, you know, somebody who would say, you know, we're just not uncomfortable. We also need to remember there is no right to volunteer. Right. You know, and so if there is something that that volunteer, whether it's in one of our ministries at our parishes or at our schools that is just not a good fit, then they're not a good fit. And, you know, they can be removed from, from volunteering. While maybe it's not... Uh, so even a safe environment issue, right? Um, but if they're just a problematic, problematic, um, they can, you know, the pastor has that right, the principal has that right to say this just isn't a good fit, you know, for right now, and let's have you step aside. So you in the last with the last audit, mm-hmm. more than twenty three thousand children were trained in Circle of Grace, That's and more right. than fourteen thousand adults completed training or background checks. That's right, and those are pretty. Do you do much every one of those personally? <laughs> those are pretty much our our numbers every year. Wow. Yeah. So it. I it, didn't realize yeah. the scope of that. So Circle of Grace is taught every every single year, and so when you think collectively amongst all of our parishes and all of our all of our schools, those are yeah, that's sure. a large number. So um, we ask that those lessons are taught every fall. You know, at the. Um, Schools and parishes. Talk a little bit. We've only got a couple minutes, but what's encompassed in Circle of Grace? So Circle of Grace is um, really about uh, teaching a child uh, what a trusted adult looks like and kind of what a boundary violation would would feel like and how to kind of trust your your instinct on something and when it's time to go to somebody with some help. Mm-hmm. So the lessons are very gentle in nature. A lot of parents um, initially thought it was um, sex education, mm-hmm. um, but it's it's not. It's really um, uh, really designed to just um, gradually teach a child about knowing what's right and what's wrong and who they're going to let be close to them. Very good. Well, Katita, uh, <laughs> I think you have the toughest job in the building. Mm, <laughs> I, I do love my job very much. I can I tell. Really, I really do. And I think collectively, um, you know, we've worked very hard to not make safe environment, you know, the upstairs office in the corner that nobody yeah. wants to deal with. Yeah. But, you know, that, that safe environment is an integral part of our faith community. Um, and uh, it's it's not an addition to forming our children, but part it's of. Part of, yeah. So phone numbers, contact, how? So there is, um, on the diocesan website, there's a direct link on the home page and it says protecting our children and that will take you to all of the information um, related to everything safe environment from codes of conduct to trainings and um, uh, resources as well. The diocese website is scd.org and it is it is comprehensive you can find you can even find the bishop's hour there you can find everything there and uh, um, it's very easy to remember or just Google Sacramento Catholic Diocese and it will pop up. Katita, always a, always a joy to see you. Thanks Thank so much you. for all you do. Oh, I, you're you, welcome. Much appreciated. Thank you, Bob. We'll take a quick break. Back with more on the Bishop's Hour right after this. I want to talk, take a minute to talk about the annual Catholic Appeal, the 2024 annual Catholic Appeal. So important here. Uh, in the Diocese of Sacramento, so many ministries supported by the annual Catholic Appeal, and the the people in the Diocese of Sacramento have always been so generous. But uh, a wonderful brochure, you a pamphlet, really, that you may have received in the mail, and on on the back cover, a, a 
a picture. Maybe it's front. I guess that's the front cover. Uh, Deacon Kevin Staskow says, uh, I really think that everyone has something to give. When Jesus was literally dying on the cross, he found the strength to turn to the thief being crucified next to him and minister to that person. So often we have all kinds of excuses not to reach out to those next to us. Indeed, today you will be with me in paradise. And you look through this brochure and you will learn the many, many, many ministries that are supported by the annual Catholic Appeal. And uh, uh, 25% of your donation goes back to the parishes for social ministry at your parish. 50% supports charities, uh, Catholic charities of Sacramento, uh, and the members in that are Catholic Charities of Yellow Solano, Northern Valley Catholic Social Service, which uh, serves uh, Butte, Glen, Shasta, Siskiyou, Tehama, and Trinity counties in this 20-county diocese, and Sacramento Food Bank and Family Services right here in the greater Sacramento area. Also, associate members are Camp Recreation, serving Northern California, the Mother Teresa Maternity Home in Placerville, the Rancho Cordova Food Locker in Greater Sacramento, the Upper Room Dining Hall in Placerville. Many of you who have worked at those places are very familiar with those places or have availed yourself of the wonderful services they provide. 25% uh, supports education, seminarian formation, and Catholic school tuition assistance. Uh, Partners uh, in uh, uh, the annual Catholic Appeal and Catholic Charities of Sacramento include Anderson Cottonwood Christian Assistance, Bishop Gallegos Maternity Home right here in Sacramento that does such wonderful work, the Catholic Ladies Relief Society up in Chico, Community Assistance Network in Greenville, Portola and Quincy up in the hills, Loaves and Fishes in Sacramento, which just just does wonderful work with the homeless, Sacramento Life Center, which has uh, saved so many lives here in the Sacramento area, Salvation Army Food Shelf in Susanville, the Society of St. Vincent de Paul and their seven district councils, the North State, Placer Yuba Sutter Butte, Sacramento East, South Sacramento Elk Grove, Sacramento Metro Area, and Yolo Delta and Solano. Also, the Stanford Settlement Neighborhood Center in Sacramento and the Wellsprings Women's Center in Sacramento, plus Yuba City, uh, Yuba Sutter, right to life, the two counties uh, just north of Sacramento. Uh, More than 100 programs provide things like counseling, emergency fund, shelter and clothing, permanent and transitional housing, job training, pregnancy counseling, post and prenatal care, independent living skills, mentoring, parenting skills, after-school care, refugee resettlement, citizen and citizenship and immigration services, and jail ministry. Our gifts help people who are mentally ill, homeless, disaster survivors, immigrants, elderly, developmentally disabled, incarcerated, working families, refugees, at-risk youth, the unborn, pregnant women, the hungry, and single parents. Such a wide, wide range of our our Catholic mission here on this earth and in this Diocese of Sacramento. One of the programs uh, uh, through uh, Northern Valley Catholic Social Services is uh, the Court-Appointed Special Advocate Program, which is operated out of all the superior courts in the state of California, and it partners with Northern Valley Catholic Social Service uh, to help kids who need advocates in the courts. Uh, they talk about, a, in this pamphlet, a, a young woman named Isabel, uh, who is devoted to ensuring a positive support system for foster kids now and for their future. As, appointed, uh, as a court-appointed special advocate, a program administered with compassion and dedication by Northern Valley Catholic Social Service, Isabel gives kids the voice they need in court to have a positive path in life. She was once in foster care herself. The severe trauma a child goes through is all too familiar. Today, she's reunited with her parents, has a family of her own, and is focused on becoming a lawyer. Northern Valley Catholic Social Services uh, gives her the opportunity to advocate in court for children with stories like 
hers. Uh, again, the annual Catholic appeal, uh, give generously, give whatever you can, whether it's a small amount, a large amount. Also, more men can say yes to the call to the priesthood. Support from the annual Catholic appeal helps seminarian Eric Patrick, who is pictured in this uh, brochure, to become Father Eric Patrick this past June. We've had him on our program a de- delightful priest. Father Patrick is earnestly hopeful that he can be a conduit for the experience of God's mercy and love. With coughs offset by the appeal, the 12 men now in seminarian formation can focus less on financial worries and more on preparing to serve in our parishes. The annual Catholic appeal, uh, a wonderful, wonderful way to support so many ministries in the Diocese of Sacramento. That's going to do it for us for today. Thanks for listening. God bless everyone. This portion of the Bishop's Hour is brought to you by a grant from the Mercy Foundation, enriching lives in the Sacramento region through Sisters of Mercy Ministries in healthcare, education, housing, and the care for the poor and elderly. For the Mercy Foundation, philanthropy is one of the most powerful expressions of compassion and love. Just as many people in our community need a hand, countless others are reaching out to them with comfort and hope. You can express your care and concern for the less fortunate with a gift to the Mercy Foundation. Uh, You can give them a call, 916-851-2700. That's 916-851-2700. And you can be confident that fully 100% of your contribution will support the Sisters of of Mercy Ministry or ministries that you choose. And what a wonderful treasure Easter's Catholic Books and Gifts has been for all of us here in the diocese as they uh, uh, transition uh, into uh, uh, new ownership and management. Uh, They continue to offer wonderful workshops, wonderful uh, uh, resources for the Catholic community throughout the Diocese of Sacramento. Not only does Easter's provide a wide array of Catholic books, both current releases and longtime classics, but they also sponsor a number of valuable workshops and lectures throughout the year. They're they're located at 6916 Sunrise Boulevard in Citrus Heights. Give them a call, 916-338-7272. We also receive generous underwriting support by Crumley & Associates, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services. If you have questions about retirement, Crumley & Associates can help you with their confident retirement approach that can help define a clear roadmap to get you where you want to go. You can uh, contact them, get all the details at Crumley & Associates, 7956 California Avenue in Fair Oaks. They're at 916-638-4600. That's 916-638-4600. Zero, zero. And we uh, are, are certainly uh, appreciative of the uh, fine and uh, longstanding support of the Mercy Foundation, of Easter's Catholic Books and Gifts, and of Crumley and Associates. This portion of the Bishop's Hour is brought to you by a grant from the St. Vincent de Paul Society. Drop by and shop at their thrift store, a beautiful, beautiful thrift store at 2275 Watt Avenue. Open Mondays through Saturdays from 10 to 8 and Sundays from 11 to 6. They also accept donations at the store, donations of furniture, appliances, clothing, books, everyday household items. Your donations help to fund the many projects of the St. Vincent de Paul Society throughout the Diocese of Sacramento. Do such wonderful, wonderful work, and the thrift store is uh, one of the the ways they uh, raise the funds to help people throughout the diocese, and also uh, many of their clients are able to access the uh, thrift store for uh, items that they need. You can uh, give them a call. They will come pick it up as well, but you can uh, give them a call. They're at 916-972-1212. And remember, again, the thrift store is open uh, seven days a week at 2275 Watt Avenue right here in Sacramento. Well, Bishop Soto refers to Christ the King Retreat Center as the jewel of the diocese, and indeed it is. What a beautiful oasis it is. It's located in Citrus Heights, uh, right in the hustle and bustle of the city, and you feel like you're getting away from it all when you uh, turn off the main road and just uh, uh, come into Christ the King 
Passionist Retreat Center. Christ the King has served Northern California and the Diocese of Sacramento for over 60 years through parish weekend retreats, individual spiritual direction, and a variety of other programs. For information on all the programs that they offer, including residential programs, give them a call. They're at 916-725-4720, or you can visit them at 6520 Van Maren Lane in Citrus Heights. And we certainly thank uh, the St. Vincent de Paul Society and Christ the King Passionist Retreat Center for their fine and longstanding support of the Bishop's Hour. We'd like to thank all the wonderful people and organizations, uh, businesses in town uh, and throughout the Diocese of Sacramento who have provided underwriting for the Bishop's Hour. Uh, some in the last few years, some uh, have been with us for a very long time. If you would like to be an underwriter for the Bishop's Radio Hour, uh, it's a wonderful opportunity to, to support this mission and also to support the diocese and also uh, to get some uh, recognition for uh, your organization or for your business. The easiest way to do this is to uh, give us a shout, send us an email, radio at scd.org, and we can give you all the details about uh, helping to underwrite the Bishop's Radio Hour. Again, that's radio at scd.org. We stand and lift up our hands For the joy of the Lord is our strength we bow down and worship him now. How great, how awesome is he. And together we sing. Thank you. 